Welcome to Pod Aloha, dedicated to preserving the heritage of surfing and the spirit of aloha. I'm Paul Strau, and I'm going to take you inside the stories of surfing's biggest influencers. In this episode, Pod Aloha welcomes Honolulu's Joey Cabell, one of Paul's teammates on the Duke Kahanamoku surf team. Often credited as the best all-around surfer through the 1960s, during that decade, Joey won editions of the Makaha International, the Malibu International, the Peru International, and the Duke Ahanamoko Invitational. A renowned athlete and waterman, one journalist wrote of Joey that he surfed like a Greek statue come to life. By then 30, he was also a key part of the shortboard movement in 1968, developing a speed surfing approach on his 8.3 that took the fastest line across a wave. In 1985, surfer named him one of 25 surfers who changed the sport. Joey is also an accomplished competitive skier, sailor, and entrepreneur, having founded the Chart House restaurant chain. We're stoked and honored to have him on this episode of Pataloha. I'm really pleased to have a very special guest, a, a very dear friend of mine that I've known ever since my childhood, a great surfer, skier, outdoorsman, adventurer, and uh, someone that I've looked up to all my life. Uh, welcome, Joey. All right, Paul. That's the best introduction I've ever had, ever. Thank you for that. Well, you deserve every bit of it and a lot more. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> but, you know, to get started, you know, I, I remember the, the early days in Waikiki when I was growing up and under my dad's uh, tutelage, uh, bringing me down to Waikiki and the old Waikiki Surf Club right there on Kuhio Beach and uh, paddling out and learning to navigate a surfboard into waves. I started on a hollow board and a very small one, an eight-footer, and then graduated into, you know, balsa. But Waikiki will always hold a very dear and special place in my heart. And I know it does for you too, Joy. And so I wanted to just start there. You know, I, 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 I saw you uh, surfing for many years until we finally had an occasion to meet. But I always admired you for your grace, particularly, and, and the way that you were able to turn a surfboard and you always looked completely in control. And I know you have people that you looked up to. And so I just wanted to start, if you don't mind, by having you share a little bit about your those early days and the people that you looked up to and and how you matriculated through the rank and file in Waikiki and, and different beaches and different surf. But Waikiki, if you don't mind sharing that story, the early days with me, that would be so special. Okay, well, I, I better start with uh, the redwood plank with no fin, a little V on the tail that was in the 40s that I started surfing. Uh -huh. And so I, I, but to give you an idea what got my interest in surfing is going to first grade on the bus to Thomas Jefferson School, riding on the bus, looking out the window, seeing people surfing queens and canoes. I go, oh, that's got to be where I'm going, which was exactly what happened. So then I started early on, about maybe seven, seven years old or so, uh, with a redwood plank with, a, with, like I said, with a little V on the tail. Wow. Heavy. I put it around a street back from Calico Avenue, somebody's house. Can I leave my board there <laughs> behind your heads? And that's where I kept it. That's fantastic. So I started there doing that. And so in those early days, it was 
it was a classic time. The Hawaiians were body surfing then at Queens because there was no wall. There's no other place. That was their number one spot, the body surf. So they were in the lineup also with some of the key guys of the time. Squirrely Cavallo, I thought, was one of the better ones at Queens. Yes, he was. And then there was other others too, from Rabbit to to any, any number of other Dickie Boyabi, a lot of a lot of really good people were were involved at the time. Yes. And so I had a chance to kind of kind of learn respect, I guess is the best way to put it. Mm-hmm. Because coming on as a young boy and everyone was bigger and older and better, you know, you you learn early that you wanna earn respect. You have to take the time to on each person and give them their respect and you know that's how you got a chance to catch a wave. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. And there is a you know, pecking order out there and of course the guys who surf the best out there in any lineup always have command over the area and you have to respect those guys and you hope especially when, you know, you're young and that was what I went through you kind of just you, you look for the little crumbs if, if if at queens if the waves are big enough you could ride the left i used to enjoy that and go into baby queens and you get a little longer ride without mixing it up with the older guys but um it, it's a it's a it's a process that i think everybody takes in their own special area where they learn how to surf but waikiki is such a special uh, paradise, as far as I'm concerned. And we couldn't have been more lucky, Joey, than to have started there. I know. It's a great place to learn, you know? Oh, my gosh. So it, it's a great, it, was, it still is a great spot. And, uh, you know, it'll, as the surf gets a certain size, it gets special. So I can remember certain people in my surfing. I mean, George Downing was totally right there, always as one of our best. Yes. Big wave. He got, Bigger and North Shore, especially Macaha. Right. He was the guy for sure. So learning from George, he kind of was a person I really wanted to surf like or surf as good as or big as he did. Then there was, of course, Rabbit. Rabbit was another unique person in that he spent the time with us small guys, took us the first few movies at the time, took us to Macaha in his car with with a, a bunch of the Hawaiians that I used to make coconut hats with. You know, he was right there to, to help us along. Oh, yes. But I want to just share this. Um, we uh, always wanted to be as good and make the waves that they made. So when I finally could make a wave behind Rabbit, I go, wow, this is a breakthrough. <laughs> and then there's also the other character of all was George Downey, who would he would draw, he'd be on the outside, especially in places like Threes, which was a little side. And he liked to hold you back. So you definitely did not make the wave. But as it turned out a number of times, he didn't make it either. He got so eager and holding me back. So this is fun for the period. You know, we had a great time together. And oh, yeah. Very respectful for George. He was quite a, quite a great, amazing man. His, uh-huh. his paddling, you know, the, the Diamond Head Brewery races that he'd win. It's just yes. everything about George was, was pretty amazing. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Joey. I mean, he was like a surrogate father, you know, to me, too. Exactly. You know, growing up yeah. with him and then, you know, under his guidance and 
matriculating to the North Shore with him, and he spent the time with me, and I know he did with you and so many others. And you know, I, God bless him for having given us yeah, that, no. that time and and sincerity. You never forget these people. You yeah, know? I was with Robert the, in the hospital just before he died, and uh, yes, I walked in with my wife Yana, you know, Robert, right. So as I walk in to get his attention, he goes, "Who's the lady?" The rabbit's last hurrah, right? <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah, these things are so memorable and so fun. I know. Oh my gosh! And their names go on, you know, Jamakikai and oh. so many oh, other sure. guys. I mean, Nose Hema comes to my mind, you know. All these guys, huh? Yeah, they're so special, and we're so lucky to have been. We grew up in that in that time, you know, period, to ha have had the luxury of meeting those guys and 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 then learning in their footsteps too. And also, the fun things about that period too was, you know, we were making coconut hats with with the with the boys and yes. uh, and also shoes with the other group. And so, you know, you go home with in the in the 40s with over five dollars in your pocket that's amazing 25 cents in shine right you know speaking of that i mean i remember coming in from surfing following you in from queens and uh, you know going to the waikiki surf club and putting my my board on the beach taking a shower and then watching you change your clothes in the Kohil bathhouse there and then coming yeah. out with uh looking with a nice pair of slacks on or jeans and then you had to uh, put on your shoes and then you had a, a nice shirt on. And then I saw you carrying a little box in your right hand. And then I saw you stopping a sailor. And then I saw you shining their shoes. And then I never forgot that. And I watched you for on several occasions doing that. And so I went home and, and you were my role model in that regard because you always had something in your back pocket, in your wallet, you know, so you, you were never without you know, some loose change or bills. And you always, you know, had the luxury of doing whatever you wanted, eating whenever you wanted, and you always had some some money. And so I went home and did the same thing, made a little shoe shine kit and started, you know, finally got up the gumption to ask the first sailor, you know, hey, uh. would you like a shine, sir? You know, <laughs> and that was a big step for me. <laughs> did, you, did you use my technique to get them to take a shine? <laughs> Yeah, t See, was, tell I, me again what you would I ask them. With, <laughs> I was with Leroy, uh, Leroy Choi and Bobby. We were all kind of doing it together. Yeah. This is in the late 40s, right? Yes. And so right after the war, they're on a, you know, break. They'd come down and leave and take, take their turn in Waikiki. So they'd be groups of three or four or more together. Right. And uh, I try to get them to take a shine. If they're sitting on the bench there by the Banyan tree, that was a little easier. And I go, hey, buddy, you want to shine? You know, they have shiny shoes. That's their I, job. They, and they have to. If they're wearing their uniform, they got to have it shiny. Yeah. <laughs> so I would say, hey, um, here's, what, here's what I would ask them. I'd say, if, you, if I can guess how many kids your mother had in one guess, you'll, you'll take a pay shine from me. If I can't guess how many kids your mother had in one guess, you'd have a free shine. Uh -huh. And so when they were talking to each other, they'd go, well, they'll never guess that <laughs> because they won't tell the truth. So they say, okay, so here's my shoe box. Get ready to put it up. 
your mother didn't have any kids. Kids are billy goats. And that was it. <laughs> Works every time. <laughs> Once you did one, you did them all. And there was another. Now, if they're walking from the by the Moana Hotel towards the Banyan Tree, with groups of more than two or three or whatever, and they were hard to stop. They would definitely not be, I couldn't pull the how many kids your mother had on them. But I would say, hey, you guys, you guys want a piece of ass? <laughs> and I would stop them dead in their tracks. Okay? If yeah. I can tell you where to get a bass, you're going to take a pay shine from me. Every time. Every time it worked. Okay? Ready? Reach in your back pocket and squeeze. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, that was great. <laughs> Oh, so, so you really had a whole sales approach to this. It wasn't just begging, begging for a shine. <laughs> Part of our group on the beach, we all kind of use that or use whatever we could use to. Yeah, you, we made a little oh bit of God. money, which is hey, good. We always had money. Joey, I have another question to ask you. I mean, I want, wanted to talk about surfboards. And, you know, I mean, I, I always looked up to you to, as to what you um, what you were riding and and I need to. You know, I wanted to ask you, who who were the who made your boards, and who were the people? Some of the people that you looked up to uh, throughout your surfing career, um, especially in the early days. Well, early days with the redwood plank, and it's just like whatever you could find at sure. the time, right? Yes. Then there was, you know, the bigger balsa boards that were that I actually would cut down and make a smaller board and glass it myself. So I kind of did a little bit myself in those early days. And then as time went on, of course, as you got a little bit better, it was people wanted you to ride their boards. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So Hobie Alter had his first foam board ever that had Swiss cheese holes in the foam. He pigmented, pigmented the board, but you could still see the Swiss cheese holes. <laughs> but anyway, I had the early boards uh, from all these people all, all the time. Then, then you know, Donald Takayama was one of the great nose-riding boards of the time. Yes. He, his boards were, were quite amazing for nose-riding. Right. And uh, Dick Brewer had boards that I had him make, too, as, as I got a little older, and so on. And uh, all these boards uh, were just kind of came through at the time. yeah. And then I started to make my own boards again. This is interesting. Uh, I don't know, I'm kind of jumping ahead with the years a little bit, but it's okay. I made boards for Macau and I, I won that three times, but I made boards. But one of the times I, after that, after the second, second win, I think it was, I went to California and I made two boards that were fiberglass uh, fantastic when I went through Honey Beach. He wanted me to make a board. I said, okay. So anyway, those boards ended up being kind of ahead of the world at the time uh, because of the shape of, of the board. Mm -hmm. They were extremely fast, extremely fast. Well, of course, to get that speed, you had to get a little bit of maneuverability away, but it still was very, very fast. And I won, I won the Duke with it, and uh, I used it at... Hanalei a lot because Hanalei is a very fast wave at 25 feet. It's really fast. It was narrow at that time. It was 18 and a half wide and 8 three, 
and white point right in the middle, which no boards had really at those days. Right. Concave bottom, and a side V in the tail, and uh, narrow nose, of course, for the white point center, which made made the board, uh, you know, fast because of the shape, right? Lower lower rails and all those things. So anyway, that was that board. And the reason how I got onto that because I had a board that Dick Brewer made me, at, and I used it at Honolulu, and maybe at pretty good size weight, 10, 12. And uh, one of his boards for that size surf, and I'd come off the bottom and, and, and project on the wall, and it would fall out from under my feet. Uh-huh. And I knew something was up with the shape. So I went home that day and made a, a smaller board with more, it, it had a little bit of rocker, and I made a lot more, a little more rocker in it. Mm-hmm. And I took it out do that in small surf. It would do that. So I said, that's it. So that's why I got onto the flutter bottoms. And yeah. Anyway. And dropped rails, right. Yeah. You, you know, you were a real trendsetter in terms of people emulating, copying your style. And um, you had a great sphere of influence for so many years, Joey. So many people, you know, both in smaller waves and, and also big waves. You know, Paul, you were right there. We love to watch you too. You were on top of it like almost nobody else, and your style and your technique and your ability to to uh, do the job was unbelievable too. So I, we don't want to be talking only about me and you well, giving me an interview. No, and and you're 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 a special friend too. But you know we also had some great times outside of the water too, with particularly with Duke Kanamoku, you know, and the Duke yes. surf team and. Thanks to Kimo McVeigh, and, and, and you know the, what an opportunity! I know you knew him. I knew him from a distance, but not like you knew him. Amazing, amazing man. Very humble, very giving. You know, it was, it was not never about Duke. It was always about what he represented and what he has done. You know, from saving lives to teaching, all the way through his life, everybody. So he was the man, you know, I was lucky enough to sit next to him on a, a couple of times when he was involved with the Macaw contest on the top of the stage when we were there together, two of us. I'll never forget that. And those pictures will stay with you forever, which is really quite special. Yeah. So he was amazing, amazing, right to the end. So he started surfing very young, but right to the end of his life, he was in his in a canoe, not a canoe, but in a catamaran that Woody Brown was an experimental cat that he made to, uh, uh, before he made his beach cat, the bigger one. And yes. He would take that out. So he never left the ocean. I remember, you know, listening to, you know, that those waves that he rode from outside castles. And I think one was over a mile long. Yeah, his long rides that he made from, uh, from you know, from, Castles all the way through to, to the or to maybe maybe uh, center of Waikiki, and I always dreamed about having that opportunity. And one one swell, one big giant south swell came up, and I remember having a I had a a ten ten big wave board, a balsa redwood board that I took out and I said I'm going to try to see if I can make it all the way to Kuna's. Um, or, or outside canoes and get to the beach in front of the Moana like like he did. But so 
I remember waiting, 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 and finally this outside set came, and I remember catching it and taking off, going left at outside castles, and then going into, crossing over into outside Publix, and then going out, I mean, outside Papua Nui and coming on past Kunas, and I couldn't make it beyond there. It stopped, you know, because the whole thing closed out, and then I... I finally thought about the, why the wave isn't the same is because the reef had changed. But there's a reason, too, why it's not done today, unless you're in a canoe and catch that lucky huge wave. The thing about his boards at the time, they were 16, 18, whatever, they're very, very long. Right. And so when you put that on the wall, it would railroad through sections. Uh, through flat spots. It just was probably why he was able to do that. Yeah, and it wasn't the same, but, oh my God, I mean, it's always been a dream of mine to ride all the way to the, the beach in front of the Moana. You know, it's amazing. And so his legacy was always something dear to my heart, and I know yours too, and, and you know, he, he lived up to it too. A very special man. Well, we don't have any but he quite like that today. I mean, I can't say we don't. In different ways, we do, of course, but because he was so early in, in what he did and all the gold medals around the world, he finally let everyone in the world know that Hawaii is a special place. We have incredible athletes here, and, uh, mm -hmm. and he proved it yeah, to the world. He sure did. Joey, I got another question. Besides surfing, which you've done you know, so well, uh, you know, you're, you're also a tremendous boatsman, a sailor. Would you mind talking a little bit in, in, in about that? I think it's, it's something you... I, I, it started off first surfing and then skiing and ski racing and mountain climbing. And, you know, you want to you, you move up. Once you master a certain part of it, the next one is where you're going. So uh, when I was skiing, ski racing uh i did that a bunch of times had a really pretty good success considering and then i started getting involved climbing in the area they wanted to ski those mountains behind where 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 i was in aspen and got involved with people that one person in particular did that went up and, and made all these wonderful climbs and skis down these, these, these mountains that weren't used much or at all. Okay, so you kind of grow, right? So in the, in, the, in the sailing, after surfing all these years, while surfing, once you learn how to be proficient and all the big waves along the coastlines, wherever you are, in, into the beach, wherever they take you, you become proficient at that. But then I looked at the possibility of the ocean. Look at there. I'm not out there yet. And uh, mm -hmm. I really wanted to get out there. I really wanted to learn the weather, not only the weather. See, surfers basically, maybe not so much now with the reports so good, but in the early days, you had an onshore, offshore wind. The most you know is side short. But you really didn't know much. That was enough, right? To, to get you always in the right place at the right time. So going into the far ocean was, was my goal. So I built this catamaran after sailing smaller ones and going into Ireland on a PCAT 
you know, if you can survive the inner island of Peacock, all the islands under these rough channels and everything, you learn how to stay afloat. Yes. So I decided I need a bigger boat. I need to cross. I need to leave Hawaii with a bigger boat. So I built this boat. Joe Quigg was really the designer. He and I together sat behind uh, a table and we drew it up an inch to the scale of what we wanted to build. And that's how you measured it. You went with a tape measure to the wall and go, that's going to be six, eight feet long, 12 feet, you know, whatever. And sure. uh, that's how you built it. How the boat got designed. Anyway, this boat got built and I came up with the name Hokulea. And, you know, after sailing around the islands a lot, sailed it to, uh, from Honolulu to uh, Tahiti. And so we, we had a very fast trip because of the design of the boat and so on. And so it was, got to Tahiti and it was, they put me on the front page of the newspaper because we got there so quick. <laughs> anyway, it's like I said, you want to know how you evolve into these other things. It's just part of how you move on, right? Same thing, but move on. You just change horses, but keep riding. Wow, that's fantastic, Joey. Gosh. You've had an amazing career. I mean, there's not much that you haven't done, especially as a sportsman. Um, I remember you and Mike um, Doyle, you know, going on the backside of um, Kauai <laughs> and doing that that trip with nothing. I don't even think you had a knife. You just had a, a oh, here's, here's Here's how, here's how it went down. <laughs> I was uh, working on my puppy in Wainia at the time, and I'd go down to White near River uh -huh. and swim every day up, upstream. So, you know, just because of the great workout and it was a way to cool off from working on land. And uh, at the time, Paul was married to David Maki and they were working with me up there. And we would do that together. So I go, okay, let's swim in the polycoast. Okay, we're, we're pretty good swimming. We can do that. And so... I had an idea that we would not take anything other than a pocket knife and goggles so your eyes wouldn't burn, and that was it. Nothing else. Okay, so we know we survived. We know we'd find, we knew where the orange trees were. We knew where there's a little food along the way if we had to eat, but that was kind of the plan. And so it just so happens that uh, Mike Doyle was coming from the East Coast working for Hanson. And so, Mike, you want to do this with me? You're staying with me, right? We're going to leave tomorrow. You want to go? And he said, okay, I'm going. So that was great. So he decided to go. And, of course, Rusty Miller was in the background. He said, nope. Okay, well, you can pick us up with the air then if we make it. <laughs> so that's where we started. Okay, we started that. a 17-mile swim. And there's a reason why. This is before leg ropes. And the reason for that is he wanted to be able to be a very strong swimmer in 25-foot surf or whatever because it's really important, right, to be fit and strong and, and know that you're, you're ready right, for the winter. And so this was summer, knowing we're going into winter. So that's kind of what we did. We made this trip on the way to Polaholic, 17 miles. How long did it actually take you, that whole trip? Well, we, 
first leg was at Hanukkah Yes. Okay. Um, we went in and, and body surfed. We didn't get out of the water. We just went in and body surfed a few ways. Then we kept swimming around until we got into Kalalau. We spent the night Kalalau. Mm-hmm. We went back and found that I knew where the oranges were. So we didn't really have much to eat unless some of the hippies left some food around, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. We basically didn't have a lot of food. But we were, you know, okay, but didn't probably need too much. Right. So the next thing, that next morning, we didn't have any to sleep on that to make finish the story. So we found whatever we could find, any tops or anything that was left there to pull over us or sand or whatever it took. So we went off the next morning uh, to to the next stop, which is um, Mililihi. Yes. Anyway, we stopped there for the night. I came in to the beach there. We had nothing on. Dripping with a bathing suit on. And uh, we come up on the beach, and there was a Japanese party in there. Huge party, having a feast. Right? They were taken in by helicopter fishing party. Uh-huh. So we walk through, and we go, oh, you know, Mike, wow, we're going to score on this one, right? And we walk close to the party like we want to join. Uh-huh. And somebody out of the party goes, Joey Cabell, is that Joey Cabell? I just hit Mike in the ribs and go, hey, Mike, you and I are in. <laughs> so what happened was we're in the party, all the food, telling stories, laughing. Oh, Good, couldn't have been luckier, Joey. Oh my gosh. <laughs> no, no. Then we go so then we went they gave us the sleeping bags to sleep on that bench. <laughs> so anyway, wake up the next morning, David and Paula Maki, who swam slower, didn't make it where we were. They ended up on on the cliff. Sleeping on the cliff, on the rugged lava cliff rock. It was really miserable for them. Oh, my goodness. And somehow they got through the night. Miserable, right? Yeah. And got into the water again, and, and we saw them coming in that morning, swimming to us. And we take them out of the water. We talk stories. We regroup a little, little bit. And then we swim to Polahali all the way. Wow. That was it, 17 miles. Wow, amazing, Joey. That's fantastic. Hey, Joey, I, I can't thank you enough for sharing so much of your life and about your accomplishments uh, athletically, you know. And you've always been a sports hero of mine, and I always looked up to you. I still do, Joey. And your stories are just incredible. The best part of my uh, life accomplishment is my wife, Yana. Well, that's... which. Is- that's beautiful. There's been no one like her in my life as far as knowing anybody that's special. Anyway, we on every turn we make on skis or snowboard, she's right with me. We're just together all the time, every day, all the time. I'm very, very lucky. Yeah, I'm so happy for you both. You, you, you both of you compliment each other, too. That's the most amazing part of my life for the last 20 years. Well, you couldn't have said it better, you know, in terms of, you know, looking back at everything that you've accomplished and to end with that statement, you know, it kind of puts the perfect uh, cap on everything, you know. I think it's maybe I would say it's it's the best part of my life, right? It's right conversation with you, which is I'm really grateful for that. Well, God bless her and God bless you, Joey. Really, I mean this sincerely. You're, you're a hero and always will be to me.
and a special friend. Well, all you too, because you also was equal right there, totally, all the way through. And I'm grateful to have known you and uh, and to have spent time with you. And I'm also grateful to have watched you surf over the years. That, for me, was very helpful, too. Thanks, Joey. It's mutual. And, and all the respect for you, too, Joey. Really appreciate your time and sharing your history with me on this occasion. And thank you so much. Yeah. Aloha, Joey. Yeah. Bye-bye. Yeah. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.